Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Home and Away. I am Drew Vanderplug, joined once again, as always, by my good friend Cody Welton. Hello. Cody, you're back from the East Coast. Yeah. I, I hear that there was a meetup with a certain, um, you know, Twitter friend of ours that is also a listener of the podcast. You saw Mr. Demline. Yeah, he brought his uh, he brought his Mizzou stank to uh, the field, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and my son's team promptly lost uh, the only game they've lost uh, like in this iteration ever. So um, I was gonna say they haven't lost all year. Demline yeah. shows up and they lose. Yeah, it was yeah, it was it was very typical, honestly. So um, wow, that's what I get. Uh, for, yeah, exactly. For him. But no, it was really wonderful to see him. Him and I, um, it's it's one of those weird things where um, you know we we met on Twitter, and um, uh, I went to my wife and I went to a, a sporting game um, in DC uh, a couple of years ago. Um, more like it's like actually more like five or six years ago at this point, and we met him for the first time in person there. And um, he's a great guy and a great follow on Twitter. And so if you don't follow him, you should. And um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I truly don't blame him for the loss, but uh, we did lose nonetheless. But but it was like okay. absolutely, I absolutely blame him for the loss. Okay, that I'm fine fault. with that too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's probably fine with it as well. He's 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 aware of what his sports fandom does to things. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it seems to be that's that's really what his uh, t- what his Twitter feed is all about. So yeah, uh, being really upset about mm-hmm. his sports teams in general. So um, anyway, so you're back from from the East Coast, from the Richmond area. Um, while you were there, we had a Sporting Kansas City match. I guess you could call it that. Um, it was a pretty poor performance. Uh, you know, losing to Vancouver at home pretty bad just i don't know what else to say about it they're a bad team that doesn't really play good soccer they were missing a bunch of players themselves obviously sporting was missing a ton of players but it was just a pretty just bad performance um, by the you know team. i mean it it's two teams that are not good teams they're both there they they are together at the bottom uh, of the standings, and you know, there's, there's no underlying numbers that are saying that those things are uh, uh, shouldn't be the case. And so, yeah, they are they're teams that are both um, not good. Uh, and you know, I think that that even you know, Vancouver probably had, um, frankly, um, a, an advantage in talent um, on Saturday. And um, you know. Uh, it was it was kind of dire. I mean, it, you could see, you know, when the uh, when when the lineups were released, that you know it was it was Johnny Russell or or nothing. I mean, that was kind of how it was going to be, and unfortunately, it was nothing. Um, and um, you know, he um, he played his butt off, but um, he did not he did not score. And so, um, you know, since he didn't score, we were the the team um, the team didn't score any goals and you know they still i mean i mean you know all things considered uh like i personally i know you think they played pretty poorly i don't think they played that badly and you know i think that that most of the most of the stats sort of back that up um you know they were um you know they were just barely behind vancouver in xg and um that includes the the penalty um that Van- vancouver eventually ended up scoring um <clears throat> but that's not to say that like they they played okay against Vancouver. Vancouver's terrible, right? And so uh, and they lost at home to Vancouver, uh, and they crossed 
uh, the ball 25 times. And, you know, if, if you've been paying attention over the past, you know, handful of years, uh, when a sporting team crosses over 20 times, um, that's not good. Um, that's a recipe for, uh, for a loss. And that's a, uh, a clear indication that the team's sort of out of ideas and, um, and, uh, really, playing uh, reactive soccer, uh, not doing the things that they need to do. And so um, I think that's kind of that's kind of what we got on Saturday. So it, I say, you know, saying the team played poorly, maybe a little harsh. Certain players played really poorly. Um, and they're the same players that have been playing poorly for a while. And that's the part that I have a problem with. Um, that were continuing, well, certain players, singular, singular played really bad. Um, and it, well, let's, let's step back for a second. There was about 20 minutes where things looked interesting and fine. Um, and so that's maybe the part that we should dig into first. Okay. Uh, Vermees, Vermees effectively had them playing in a three, four, three, 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 six, one almost, um, is kind of what it looked like. With, with, you know, Russell being the only attacker on the field, I can't call him the only available attacker, but Chinese did have a knock coming into the game, so that was why he wasn't in the starting lineup. At least that's what we're led to believe or what we were told. But Russell is the only legitimate forward in the lineup, um, very similar to what happened in Chicago when Voinovich got thrown out there after being with the team for three days yeah. and had to play in that, you know, three, six, one that they were in in that position. But effectively that it was a similar setup in that circumstance. What was different was Uri Rossell was be- basically playing center back. Yep. Um, he was playing the middle of a back three. And at first I kind of didn't hate it. Um, yeah. Mainly, mainly because it doesn't put a whole lot of pressure on him in possession. Mm-hmm. He's not having to hit line splitting passes. Mm-hmm. He's not he's not responsible for controlling possession, any of those kinds of things. He can shuttle side to side with with Courtney Ford or with Andrea Fantas. Andrea Fantas, we know, is the one that will actually range forward and yeah. deliver that line. Provide, ball. Provide some cover for that. And, and he can sit back yeah. in that circumstance. So there was a lot of that type of stuff that actually made sense to me. And it, and it looked functional. Um, especially against a team like Vancouver, who's not going to try to play that much. Yeah. They're going to let you have the ball. They're going to really just, you know, sit back and hope to counterattack you. And that's really all they'll do the whole game. I mean, I don't think Vancouver has averaged over 40% possession much this year. So that we know that that's the type of style. And this was a setup that would allow sporting to have some control. And it looked pretty good for about 20 minutes. And, Uri was playing that position fairly well. And then he makes a really nice slide tackle on the corner of the box. And then is, I don't know, feeling himself or what, and decides to go for the most ridiculous one and gives up a penalty. And I just feel like this is the story with Uri is that, and we've talked about this over and over and over again, I don't want to just kick a guy over and over, but this is a problem that we have seen consistently with him is that he makes significant mistakes in high leverage situations. And that's how, you know, the penalty is given that Cavallini scores. And then the change in formation, because now you're chasing a goal against a team that has no interest in playing soccer at this point, right? They're 
totally fine to let you do whatever the hell they want and be organized defensively. So now you have to push back into the 4-3-3. Uri moves up higher, and as soon as that happens, he whiffs on a tackle on Cavallini and ends up allowing the Caicedo break that, thank God, gets um, saved. And then he has like three more just ridiculous giveaways in our end. Yeah. And two games in a row now, he's subbed out at halftime because of it. Yeah. And they kind of go to that. I don't even know what you would call. I mean, Remy moves back to the six and it's still more of a four, three, three with um, Chinese. I think the Duke moved to right wing at that point and Chinese played left. It Duke played like four positions in this game. So it, it all kind of blurs together which positions he was playing. Um, but yeah, it, it's just, it's indicative of a continuing problem where he's just not good enough. No, he's not. And the thing is, the frustrating thing for me is that if he was uh, 20 years old and making the same mistakes, he'd be sitting on the bench. You know, he'd never see the field um, because we've seen uh, we've seen Vermes handle players um, in that situation like that before. Uh, and the fact that he keeps getting run out there, I mean, obviously, obviously, there's not a lot of, um, you know, there's, there's not a lot of options. Um, but I would say that, you know, that uh, Hernandez has played there, um, and and obviously uh, Voltaire has, has has played there as well. And you know you've got Jake Davis on the bench, and so I mean really you know at this point there's not a reason to to put him um, to put him out there. And I I, I would even uh, I would even say especially now that EC is uh, is fit or is is healthy enough to at least play it some. Uh, I we can still. I, I was fine with the with the the three man back line. I think actually in in practice it was more kind of a three five two because uh, Duke was way advanced and right. um, and and I think I like like I think that works. I think that can be uh, an effective uh, formation for the team. I mean I mean it's not going to like you know propel us to the playoffs or anything like that, but it can make us competitive and it can make us a little more defensively solid. Um, and you know it's just a matter of of finding. You know of, of the other center back to put in there uh if it's uh ec or bolader um or fantas or you know ford you've got though you've got those guys to choose from um and there's really no reason why we should see uh, even if we do have that sort of formation again there's no reason why we should see uh roselle in there well and the thing is is that fantas is good in that formation because yeah. he has defensive cover when he moves yeah. forward. He had a good he game. gets up to the half line. He had a very good game. Yeah. I, I, I wasn't upset with his play at all. It, it's just that, and to be fair, if you think about that, Courtney Ford is very much a right center back in that position. I don't know mm-hmm. that I want him in the middle because he's a mm-hmm. little bit aggressive as well. Yeah, but EC, uh, a little bit. <laughs> EC, yeah, EC is an extremely calm player. Yeah. Like he is very, he, 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 he exudes like control. When he's mm-hmm. on the field, he never really gets too far out of position. He mm-hmm. never gets too crazy about running back. He's never too far away from anything. And that's perfect for being in the middle of a back three, because yeah. that's the person that you need there that is going to be diligent, that is going to read the read the ball in the air and win the aerial ball in that position. And it, there's there's some benefits that could actually be brought here, especially when you're you're struggling so hard to put quality forwards out on the field. Yeah. You know, this is a way that, and I think Cameron Duke is a wingback or Caden Pierre is a wingback or Logan and Denbe is a wingback. Even Sweat, 
I think is much better as a left wing back than he is as a fullback. Yeah, I agree. All of those, all of those things become a little bit more useful in that circumstance. And you can still run a three man midfield and you're not trying so hard to figure out who the hell is going to play forward. Yeah. Um, so, so, so the, the problem, um, you know, obviously the, the, the big issue with the team, um, is, is the spine. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that we have enough center backs that we can sort of sort out the back line. Um, but then, you know, the other two issues are the number six and the number nine. And, you know, if you if you you can paper over those deficiencies uh, with a change to that formation, um, you know, you know, the if you don't have a competent number six, then don't play a single pivot. I mean, it seems like a pretty straightforward um, um, uh, solution to me. Uh, if you don't have, you know, you know, one player who, you know, who's, a, who's your number nine, you can, you know, you can bring in, you know, we have, we have plenty of players who can play sort of, you know, like a second forward type uh, position. We have, you know, Duke Chonis, we have um, uh, Ozzy Cisneros is somewhere in the world, somewhere. Yeah, maybe I don't know. He's been, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Sitting next so, to Jake Davis on the yeah, bench, watching, right? So watching, watching um, his, watching his um, supposed, you know, um, veteran peers, you know, shit the bed on the field. Yeah. I, I, mean, I, I don't. So I, Jake, look, I'm not in training. Maybe Jake Davis isn't ready. I don't know if he is or he is, and he looks a little. He's a little aggressive for my tastes. Sure he is. Um, yeah. Um. So I think that there's some parts of his game, but. When he played in that open cut match and then he rotated up to the eight, I, I don't think he played badly. I think he played fine. And that was against MLS, you know, quality opponent. I mean, Houston wasn't playing their full, um, you know, starting lineup, but it was an, it was an MLS team that we were playing and he looked perfectly within his depth, both at the six and when they moved him upfield. Well, and as um, we said, you know, when you play when you play young athletic players, they their athleticism can help cover up some of their mistakes and help help them, you know, uh, recover. And um, and you know, the thing is, is you know, even even in his younger days, Roselle was not a, a, a super athletic player, and so and when he makes a mistake, you know, he's cooked. There's not he can't he can't physically recover from that. Um, as we saw when he tried to, you know, when he when he um, um, fouled and for the penalty well help me out with this then so here's the thing is like is this am i missing something in what he's doing as far as his reading of the game as his positioning as you know what he's accomplishing on the field he can't, it can't be good if he's been subbed out at halftime in two consecutive yeah. games i don't think you're missing anything i um it's a mystery honestly and like i said you know, if, if, if it were a younger kid, if, if, if Jake Davis were in there and making the same mistakes, you would never see Jake Davis. He'd be ethered to Jose Maury land or whatever, you know, I mean, um, it, it's, it's, that's really, really frustrating. Um, uh, because, you know, like I said, you know, at least, at, at least with, with younger players, you know, you have, um, you know, you have potential, you have, you have a, a, a higher ceiling and, and you're, you're expecting mistakes from those guys. Um, you should not expect, you know, you shouldn't be expecting these kind of mistakes from Roselle. You know, the, the penalty aside, I mean, he, as we've discussed many times, he's good for, you know, three or four, um, really bad giveaways in his, in his defensive half, every game, every game. Yeah. And, 
um, for you know for a number six in this system, you know a possession, a heavy heavily possession based system to do that. You you can't do that. You can't um, because you're you're you give the ball away right there, and you've got a really direct counterattack um, uh, on you immediately. And it's it's a disaster, honestly. And I I just I don't know what the I don't know what the answer is. I don't know why. Um, we keep going back to him. I don't know. I wish I wish I had some some clue. I mean, part of it is um, you know personnel related as far as available people. I think that if I were to look back at this Vancouver game, there is a version of events where if Shallowy doesn't get his second game suspension for the red card against Colorado, that Shallowy starts at left wing, and then you have a Duke Hernandez Voltaire midfield. And I think maybe that's a little more functional at that point, and we don't have this problem. Um, like I said, I most of the stuff with him in the back three was fine and actually, you know, eliminated a lot of his issues until he made, you know, one ill-advised tackle after feeling himself after making the first one that was good. Yeah. So, you know, the, the problem became now, now Vancouver has scored, and when you're down one nothing to Vancouver – I mean, it was what the twenty fourth minute, and they're already they were already time wasting immediately. Yeah. And the point the point is why? I mean, he's not a center back. Okay, maybe he has some t- center back tendencies, but he's he's a defensive midfielder. And so, you know, why are you purposefully playing uh, a player out of position um, when you have two perfectly good center backs uh, on? The bench, and uh, you know, granted, EC's coming back from injury, and um, Volader Volader should have easily been able to play. Yeah, I mean, it, that's that's the part that doesn't really, um, I don't know, it just doesn't really make sense to me. I, I it's it's, and in fact, Fontas in the middle of a back three, I like because he has experience playing as a six with Barcelona. I, I would, I that's, I mean, it. I asked for that, you know, months ago um, on the podcast, and I think that that would be, uh, I think that that would uh, solve a lot of problems, honestly. Um, yep. And and I think that it would it would it would, you know, instead of having him drop and be the 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 furthest defender, um, he can push forward, sort of in play, sort of a hybrid role, uh, and he has cover behind him, and he can you know he can make line splitting passes and do the things that um that he does well right that's it, it's a it's a matter of of not only you know covering over people's deficiencies but also giving them the space uh to do the things that make them good players and you know he he has things that that make him a good player um um you know he just we just have to you know surround him with players uh in a system yeah. that make him better it reminds me a lot of the conversation around john brooks with the u.s men's national team you know put it you know the and we'll get to the men's national team here in a minute when we talk about, you know, their game last night. But um, the reality of the situation is, is that Brooks so often is looked at as a, you know, a confounding player. Let's put it that way. Some people really love him. Some people don't really like him at all amongst the, the Twitter sphere. And it's because he's got a game very similar to Fontas. He's kind of a languid guy who can win aerial duels, but is really good with the ball at his feet, hits great passes, but is not the greatest transition defender. It's not the greatest one-on-one V1 defender. He's more of a, you know, he, he's a position guy. And um, 
in a 4-3-3, like the U.S. Women's National Team is playing, especially the pressing 4-3-3 that they moved to during World Cup qualifying, it's not a good fit for him to be in a back in a pair of center backs with that type of setup because you can get caught behind when you press a lot. So what you need is two sort of athletic, dual-winning center backs that will attack the ball when it gets behind the six. And that's not really Brooks's forte, and that's not really Fontes's forte. But when you, if you watch the men's national team last night, they were building out of a 3-2-5, and we'll talk about this a little bit when we get to it. But they're building out of that position. In, if I'm being completely honest, John Brooks would have been a better option than Aaron Long in that position because he offers the ability as a left-sided center back in possession to hit a line-splitting pass, to break a team down, especially a pressing team like Morocco was. And I'm not saying Long did poorly, but I think Brooks would have been a plus player in that situation. Similarly here to Fontas. Fontas is, in a back three, a weapon. He is something you can use to your advantage. And that's, I think, the point that you're making, is it's not just eliminating the potential for him to be you know, um, exposed in transition, but it's also creating a situation where you're using his capabilities to your advantage. The other thing that it offers is whether you go to a 3-5-2 or a 3-4-3, 3-4-2-1, whatever you want to call it, um, I don't know that other – well, if you can call Uri a number six, I don't know if he really is a single pivot defensive midfielder in my position in, – in my, in my uh, you know, thought my overall thought process. But even if you call Uri the only true single pivot player on the on the roster, the rest of these guys can deputize in those positions, but they're probably better in a double pivot. They they you're muted, Cody. Uh sorry. Uh so he had a, Cody had a really good point and I he was, was very he was very, very aggressively telling you all what it was and then yeah. He's I mean, that's 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 one of the overriding frustrations of of the season, and also of um, sort of being a fan of a of uh, a Peter Vermes team is that um, the 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 reliance on the four three three and the single pivot is so dogmatic. It's so um, locked in stone. Um, which you know, in in one respect, okay. I mean, he's had success with that. Obviously, he's proven that he is, you know, um, one of the best coaches in MLS. But when you but when you play that position, the number six is so important. It's like the most important position on the entire field, and um, and the dude has like basically ignored it for five years right i mean he he like you know he had he had Ilya, and that was that and um he didn't bring in a younger player to sort of sort of you know work his way into the fold he hasn't you know been playing the academy kids in, in that role with the first team um he you know he went in you know when he when he let Ilya go um he you know, we think was gonna was gonna play uh, Mari at that role and have Rosella as a backup. Um, but you know, when when Mari left, that that was it. You know, you were you were left high and dry. And and I think that that you know, given the system and given the importance of that role, um, I, I I really think that's kind of a you know. Um, it's kind of an unforgivable mistake, you know, to 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 go into the season um, with with 
with Roselle as really the only number six and the only solution to the problem. Well, and then to have no plans for how you adjust to it when it doesn't work. Well, no, you like can't. You you can't adjust because everything is everything is predicated on the four three three, right? All well, of the positional play, all of that is is is. I I don't. I'm I'm being devil's advocate. I don't think that's the case. I think that they would do just fine playing out of a double pivot. But I, I'm just telling you that that's you know, uh, in my mind, that's the way Peter Vermes sees it. The positional rotation change from a 4-3-3 to a 3-4-3 is not that significantly different, especially if the middle center back is playing as a pulled-back defensive midfielder. Well, so so it is, I mean, it, it changes the role of the eights considerably, and it changes where on the field they set up shop, and um, and it definitely changes the role of the okay. of the, of the wingbacks. And and the thing is, is that is that you know if you change to that formation, then you have to, you know, then you have to drill a whole new um, a, a whole new pressing scheme. Um, which you know, like in my opinion, that sh- that shouldn't be a big deal. Like these guys are professionals; they've been playing their whole lives. You know, you should be able to, you know, take a week or two and and you know, especially because all the nomenclature is the same and and the positions aren't that much dissimilar. Uh, so you should be able to to you know completely adapt your pressing system to uh, a three five two. Um, and I don't, you know, I, I don't know why that hasn't been done, honestly. I mean, I, I think they're yeah. more dissimilar than maybe you're saying, but I don't think they're entirely dissimilar. It shouldn't be, you know. Well, okay, maybe that's true. But here's the thing that I would say is that I don't see the tenets of positional play being used right now. So no, there, no. If I, I could, I could get behind that argument if what I saw on the field was that philosophy. But that's not what's occurring right now. Now, I will admit that per- available personnel injuries all of those things have limited that but if you're gonna rip the band-aid off and turn them into a mid-block you know just sort of manage the game kind of team then why can't you do that from a formation yeah, that that's puts a good people in better better places to succeed that's, that's what i'm point. saying that's a good point i'm i'm totally with you okay i i, I Positional play and all that stuff is great if everyone is actually acting on it. And that's not what's occurring right now. The other thing, too, is that this sort of weird tucked right back 3-1 or 3-3-4 that they were building out from, I, I don't – that that was – even when they had most of the people at the beginning of the season, it just didn't seem effective to me in any way, shape, or form. No, it was, it was, it was, a, it was a formation and a – and a style uh, completely um, instituted to keep Graham Zussi on the field. That's well, it. And also, also, I think it was meant to try and protect Uri Rossell a little bit as well. Oh, maybe, because, maybe. But I mean, you, you, have, you have Zussi, you have Zussi in that third center back role, and then the line of three in front of them is the two eights next to Rossell. And then the only forward width you have is the left back and the three forward lines, right? Yeah. So um, it was just a, it's just a strange decision, in my opinion, that didn't work. We saw, I mean, the sporting's results were pretty poor and well, geez, they've been pretty poor all year. Yeah. It didn't work. And in fact, they didn't start getting results until 
first of all, Johnny got in everyone's ass and was like, no, this is not acceptable effort. You got to be doing things better. And I mean, we'll talk about Johnny here in a second, but it, other than that, and then moving to this weird mid block setup that just sort of gave up the ball. That's really all they, all they, they, they kind of, there, there's not much exciting about what they do. No, and no. and and that's why I have Look, this. So so there wasn't even under the best circumstances. They were not like the most even even when they were creating a lot of scoring chances uh, in the last you know few years. You know I don't. They weren't like must see TV for neutrals, right? They're not the most dynamic and exciting team to watch. Um, but now, like if you if if Johnny Russell is the only attacker you're trotting out there, I mean it's it's grim, man. If you if you're a soccer nerd, the stuff yeah. that they were doing the last couple of years was pretty cool. Absolutely, um, um, it's it's very much out of the the Pep Guardiola book, and it's it's a um, uh, the the thirty five passes into the goal kind of situation. Like that stuff is really cool if you are a uh, soccer nerd. But um, you know, I, I make fun of it, but but you know. When I play FIFA, that's the way I play. <laughs> so I can't, I can't not play like that, you know. Um, so even though, even though, kind of, I would, uh, I would sometimes like for the team to play differently. I mean, I, I, I like that style personally. So I, I agree with you. I do too. But yeah, they're not playing that style right now. No. And a part of it is because they can't. They don't have the personnel available to do it. But part of it is because the personnel they have available isn't was ill-conceived yeah. for doing it, yeah, right? And that's the part that we keep going back to over and over again is that the sporting director made some pretty terrible choices as to how to build this team to do this stuff. Do you see Marinos Chanis as a player that is going to be a positional play guy that is going to – you know, no. do the the rondos to rondo the ball into the eighteen? No, I don't. I, I, I mean, that signing is kind of. I mean, him and him and Voinovich both. I mean, those signings are both uh, confounding to me. I mean, uh, Jonis is not um, even even when he's playing well. You know, he's not doing you know lots of combinations around the around the box. He is uh, he's a dribbler. Uh, which is fine. I mean, I think he's I think he's actually a good player. But you know, whether or not um, the team can get the most out of him, um, if the team keeps playing like they've uh, played for the last couple of years, uh, I think is a different question. And um, I, yeah, I mean, uh, I completely agree. It's uh, it's it's very um, it's very interesting, and it would be it would be interesting to you know hear uh, Vermes talk candidly about it and. Um, and ask what he saw in those players, you know, and what you know, where what he thinks that their uh, their their roles uh, might eventually be, and if you know, if he's surprised at, at the way that they uh, that they are are playing now, um, because it, you know the the. the it's the same thing with Voinovich, right? I mean, it's the same kind of thing where you know, it's a different player than we've seen uh, in the past. It's a different player than we've kind of seen working uh, in this system. And so, um, you know, the the question is how how you know under ideal circumstances, how do those players fit? Um, I think in with Ndembe, it's easy to see how he fits. I mean, I think that um, of the three, he's by far the best uh, the best signing. Um, 
And the other ones, you know, uh, uh, I think we'll wait and see. I mean, uh, Choney's I would probably grade as like a C or maybe a D. And, you know, I think that, that Voinovich, I mean, I, I, I'm i mystified as to what the point of that signing uh, is as we discussed. I think, it was, a, I think it was a scramble signing. We talked about yeah. that. And and I, just and, needed and, a forward and, and they did it. You know, that might be the case, but that's not good, man. <laughs> no, it's not. And and we, we hit that too hard last week. So I think, you know, if you guys want to hear our thoughts on, you know, why we think he ended up with the team, it's all in last week's podcast. Um, yeah. A couple things I would say. I would say of all of the U22 signings, Chinese and Denbe, Volater, I think the highest ceiling is actually probably Volater. I think, you know, I'm first things first. Um, as much as I love a good midfielder, and we talk about midfielder performance all the time, the entirety of my soccer playing career was at center back. Um, I ah, am a, out. You're, you're you're revealing yeah. your bias. I am I am a six foot two large dude. Um, there was no there was no place I was playing as a kid. I mean, I didn't grow into it until later, but um, I always played center back even when I was smaller uh, compared to my peers. Um, so I was, that was always kind of my thing. I remember, I remember I was, man, this is probably like U10s or something with AYSO. And I got to play at a forward as a forward once I got to play as like a striker once. And I scored my one and only goal in youth soccer. And it was my left foot. And I felt like I was the coolest guy on earth. Cause Ooh. you know, yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, I'm right footed, but I, I had been doing all much practicing and whatnot. I was actually a good friend of mine I was playing goalie and he came out and I chipped him, but anyway, oh, even better. Yeah, exactly. It's good stuff. But the reality of it is, is that, you know, I do appreciate a good center back um, and ones that can play well. Volader has a lot of upside. Like he looks to me like a player that could be really, really good at center back. In Denbe, I like him a lot. I liked him a lot at the beginning of the season. I think the shine is wearing off a little bit on him because he is a little bit of a minus player in the final third. Have you noticed this? So, um, I mean, I think, I think to a degree, but I, um, I don't know. I, His I, service that, that, is that not good. That doesn't bother me. Uh, I don't I think mean, it, Cam I, I don't Duke think had it's better left footed service than he did. Okay. Yeah. I mean, um, Cam Duke's right footed and he had better left footed service than a did in that game. Um, I, I think he's okay. I think he, um, when he gets into the final third, he starts to overthink the game a little bit. That's what I've noticed. Um, I don't know. I mean, he's a 22-year-old kid who's trying to learn a new team, and I'm sure you know all the all the things come into play there. I, I like him a lot as a player. I'm not trust me. I'm not asking him to come off the starting sheet in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, I'm not as high on him as I was after the first five or six games, and the main uh, reason actually, is that... I'm actually higher, honestly. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So what what are you seeing then that you like so much? I mean, I just I just like the fact that he is um, he is a very uh, progressive and direct player. Uh, he he doesn't he doesn't play around, and I think that that kind of speaks to maybe uh, a shift in mindset you know that we've seen with the other players too of having different kinds of players on the team. You know, he's not. You know he's not a uh, uh, he's not a, a super defensive left back. He's not a you know rely on you know overloads and combination play left back. Uh, he is you know get the ball and drive it forward. And um, you know I, I like that. And I you know personally think that um, that the team you know even going into last year, I think that the team needed 
some more direct play uh, to be effective. And, um, you know, that's kind of all broken down this year. But but I think that he's a good building. Uh, he's a good building block for the future in that respect. So I guess, and and that that's fair. He is a very direct player. I I mean, we haven't that. we haven't seen him play with a with a competent uh, striker yet. So well, oh, with a competent striker. Okay, yeah. that makes I, he. I find that he's his connection with Shallowy has been minimal. I I agree. So that far, improve. Yep. And and it and it wasn't improved in any way when Duke was yeah. playing out there against Vancouver. Yep. Now, granted, Duke's not a left winger, so I, I'll give him a little bit of a pass there. But I just there's so much so much progression happens with this system on the left side of the field mm-hmm. that um it's noticeable when they get to a certain point and things start to fizzle out. And I just um, say what you want about Luis Martinez, who Vancouver signed, by the way, it came into that game. Um, He was really good in the offensive third with Shallowy and with um, Gattikindo when it was over there. But whoever he was paired with over there, they were much more effective in moving the ball into a dangerous scoring area. That's all I'm saying about Adenbe is I haven't seen it yet. You're totally right, but you know, I, I I would also point out that there's I mean, there's not a lot of good re- attacking relationships on the team anywhere right now. Um, there's a lot of guys sure. kind of doing their thing and uh, trying to to just kind of hold on um, and do do their job. Um, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of rapport, um, and that's you know that's unfortunate because you know if you if you you know, for instance, if you play more of that three-five-two, and you have sort of a better, uh, um, a better relationship between um, um, between Johnny and um, and Duke, who um, who were not connected at all. Um, you know, if you if you look at their passing map, um, they they there was nothing between the two of them, and that um, that's a big problem. You know, and that's something that needs to be. Um, you know, to, needs to be fixed if if that's going to be you know a a path we go down in the future. Well, I mean, part of the problem is you still have a left back playing right back, which I don't know why we continue to do this experiment. I don't understand it. As soon yeah. as Caden Pierre came on the field, he looked perfectly within himself, perfectly in the game. Now, granted, again, Vancouver's not that good. Yeah, he's played against Vancouver and Houston, he's- and I, I get it, but. We can we can do he's all those things. He's never done anything in a game that wrong. That like, right, he's been right. fine. Yeah, he's been fine. Absolutely, he's been fine, and, and he has upside. And I watch Ben Sweat like trying to figure out how to use his right foot, yeah. or can I can I cut in? That's the whole thing. He looks the whole time to try and get on his left foot in some way, and he's even like outside of the boot, left foot passing from right yeah. back. Like yeah. it, it's just not a position that he's equipped for, and. Okay, you have a right back on the roster. He's perfectly adequate at it, as we've seen. Mm-hmm. And I just, the, I, I understand, like, I think there's a little bit of this that is Peter, you know, trying not to put too many young kids in a bad situation at once. So we don't end up with Leon, right? And I, I understand it to a certain level. But it, as soon as Pierre came on, the right back position play all of a sudden improved significantly. Yeah. And I just, I don't, at some point you got to let these guys learn that yeah. this season is hosed. We're yeah. 15 games in and dead fucking last in MLS. The only, the only hope is, uh, is an open cup or, run. That's it. Oh, I guess, I guess I'm sorry. Chicago is, is, 
is as I said to our friend Mark the uh, during the game, I was like, Chicago still exists. Yeah. So we're not dead last. We're dead last in the West. Uh, but I'm just like, what are we waiting for? Like, I, I don't understand why you're waiting and trying so hard to put, you know, the just this continued insistence on playing veterans that you think can do certain things and consistently show you they can't. Yeah, I'm 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 100 percent with you. Oh, my God. OK, it's anyway, frustrating. Can, can we. Yeah. So one other thing. Uh, so first of all, international break, right? It was the last game for uh, for two weeks on Saturday. So we've got, you know, an international break. U.S. Men's National Team is going to be here in Kansas City on Sunday. The team's getting a break. Chinese and Shallowy not getting a break. They're both with their national teams. Chinese went like 70 minutes today for Cyprus and they got beat by Kosovo. But still, you've got, you know, the, that stuff going on and they're going to miss the game on the 12th against New England because of it. But still, you've got, you know, a two week window here. First things first, I hope Johnny Russell gets to take all two of those weeks and just sleep. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like I, listen. Johnny Russell has been doing the the most unbelievable like performance I've ever seen from a sporting player. Yeah. Like he should have scored twice against Vancouver. He mm -hmm. should have. But I'm not even mad at him cuz he's the no. only guy it's doing all, anything. And I, I have to admit literally like, the entire offense. I'm I have never been the biggest Johnny Russell fan, um, but I have so much respect for him after this year because uh, he's it, man. I mean, he is he is doing the job and he is uh, he's carrying the the team uh, on his back as much as he possibly can. And um, I think everything that they uh, everything positive that they've done thus far in the season, which uh, admittedly isn't a lot. I mean, I think that he, um, he shoulders a lot of responsibility for that. He's been absolutely amazing. Everything you want in a captain, in my, in my opinion. I totally agree. And I think I said this on Twitter during the game. I was like, I think we'll remember this. I, I know I will remember this Johnny Russell season more than any of them because yeah. he's, even if they finish, dead last in the West. This guy has every point they have is because he's like drugged them to it yep, by himself. Absolutely. And that's a really hard thing to do in soccer. Like yeah, it is the ultimate team game. And so for a single player to do that, it's just, and I just, I hope he gets all of the recuperation that he needs and cryo chambers and all the other stuff to like get him a little bit more healthy because he's earned some time off. I mean, Vermees talked about it prior to the game, prior to the, the Vancouver game. He's like, listen, with the with the limited, you know, is what seven games in twenty two days, or whatever they keep saying, right? Mm -hmm. um, Vermees said he's like, we haven't trained in several weeks. It's like get done with the game, recover, get ready for the next game. Like, that's what we've been doing. There hasn't been any training at all, and um, so hopefully get a week off, do some recovery, do some actual training, put some things into place that might actually function, you know, uh, let's hope. Um, maybe get some guy, you know, EC will be back to full health at that point. You know, he's not just a 20 minute guy. Um, Zussi, maybe he's back. Um, although I don't need to see him that much. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it'll be interesting what happens when those guys get back. If it, if we just go right back to, you know, Fontas and Izzy and, you know, Zussi at right back and just act like, I don't, act like nothing bad ever happened. It was like, oh, <laughs> I don't, I don't think that 
I don't think that's necessarily happening. I think I hope not. Ford Ford has earned the right to play more for sure. I agree. He's and been he's a he's, ver, a, he's a Vermes a kind of player. He's been great. He's been he's a Vermes kind of player. So I think yeah. that we're going to see a lot of Courtney Ford. I don't know how much Caden Pierre we're going to see if I'm being brutally honest, but yeah. um we're going to see a lot of Cameron Duke. We're going to see a lot of Felipe Hernandez. Those guys have played well and they've earned the right to play more. Um I agree. I hope that means we're not going to see as much Roger Espinosa who is in my notes here and I love Raj and he played fine in this Vancouver game. He was not the problem at all, but geez, after like 60 minutes, you can just see him like going, getting slower and slower and slower. And I'm like, yep. it's okay. I'm like, it's not his fault, Yeah, but he is not a 90 minute player anymore. No, and he's not. when he came, he came in at like halftime of the previous game and I loved it because he could just do full Raj for a half. It was great. He did all of those things really well, but um, I just remember watching the end of this game, and I think I texted you. I was like, "He is tanked, like yep. just gone." Um, so yeah, like hopefully that means that certain guys like Roger and Zusi don't have to play ninety all the time, and we can get. Some I mean, the, more... the, the the thing is, I think they would be really effective uh, uh, bench players, and I, we've talked right. about that before too. I mean, they, you know, it. it it's a it's a win win as far as I'm concerned, and um, you know I think it's just it's just unfortunate that that you know we probably won't get the chance to see if that holds up or not. We'll see, we'll see. I'm not. I'm. I think enough players have earned the right to play minutes during this time frame that maybe we'll see a little bit more rotation, a little bit more time. I mean, from what I heard from Sperry, like Roger, Johnny, and Zusi were already getting days off, like weeks into the season. So yeah. if that's the case. Uh, Peter knows that they don't have the fitness to play as much and we have guys that do have the fitness to play as much. So hopefully that, that tends to be, you know, a change. Um, yeah. I, the last thing I have here, and you know, I think we're on the same page on this. If, if this team is going to continue to use the four, three, three, if that is going to happen and we, you talked about this earlier, how important the spine of the team is in that circumstance, the six, the nine, the center backs, you have to sign a quality six. You have to. And in fact, to your point earlier, you got Elia and you kind of figured, you know, he had the one great season in 2018 and then he got found out that you can really press the shit out of him and then bad things happen for sporting. But still, I think for me, it's like he had that one great season, signed him to a million dollar a year contract and was like, this is our six. We found him. Yeah. And never tried to find anybody else. And here we are. And, you know, maybe Maori was supposed to be it, maybe not. I don't know. But the fact of the matter is, there is no reason you shouldn't be spending a million dollars a year salary-wise on that player, or a million and a half, whatever it is, at the high level of TAM, on that player in this system. It's that important. Yeah. And, and, and I think that that's the part that I struggle with when it comes to how this roster is set up, is that they have the most limited investment possible in the midfield mm -hmm. of a four, three, three. And the whole point of a four, three, three is to control the midfield. Yeah. Like, that's why you do it. It's well, I, I think midfield that, you know, control. they have, they have uh, a, you know, homegrown midfielders that are, that are fine players, you know, I mean, Hernandez yeah. and Duke and, and, and Davis. I mean, I think they're okay, you know, but, but to your point, like uh, the, you know, 
the six is where they should spend money. That should be a priority. And it's not like you, it's not like you have to make that player a designated player. They, they can't make that player a designated player, but unless he's you know, under 20, unless he's a young DP, they can right. do it if he's a um, DP. But you know, you, I mean, I, this is a uh, this is a self-imposed problem, right? Like this is you know the reason the team is in this situation is because they didn't they didn't sign um, you know young kids you know every single year until they knew that they had someone that that would work, um, and um, and so now they're they're under the gun and they they have to get it right uh, because it's not just you know it's not just this year that, that's at stake it's uh, it's future years also and you know. Um, you know, even if we write off this year, I mean, the, the, this summer window before a world cup is huge and they have to make, um, they have to make a signing that, uh, is impactful. And there will be players out there that will yeah. be looking for a place where they can play regularly if they're trying to make in, make their way into their national team, mm-hmm. all those kinds of things, there will be options out there. So I'll be, I'll be interested to see, but I mean, yeah, they've got to do something at that position. Um, otherwise, like I said here in the, in the rundown, it's pitch fork time. Like, I mean, the, te- yeah. the, 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 um, technical department has failed if they don't come away with a, a defensive midfielder in this window. Yeah. Okay. That's enough sport in Kansas city talk enough dour and dire and, you know, depressing. <laughs> we're in last place and not doing anything. I mean, I, I do. I I still think the team won't finish with a wooden spoon. I still don't believe that's going to happen. Um, but we'll see. Um, I mean, the problem last... is, is that is that all the other terrible teams can make coaching changes, and you know that Sporting won't. Do you think? Now, do you I'm think not saying they should, but uh, you know, there's always if you know Sartini gets uh, gets axed, you know, there's always the chance well, that Vancouver's in front of Sporting in the standings. I'm yep. more thinking like Wooden Spoon. So Chicago is probably the other. I don't know that Chicago is going to fire their coach. No, I don't think so. Like that doesn't seem like something that they would do. Like they just hired Ezra Hendrickson. I don't know that. Chicago's yeah, he needs, issues he needs time. Huh? He needs time. He does. Yeah. Um, it's not going to be a Miguel uh, Ramirez situation in Charlotte um, with him. Yeah. He, well, be, he hasn't said, he be, hasn't said what he hasn't said. We're fucked on a press conference. So that, <laughs> that, that, that helps keep him around. A little bit longer. DC United is a good shout. You know, they, they could, uh, they could be spoon winners. And uh, honestly, you know, even, even with signing Insigne, Toronto is just terrible. So anyway, we'll see. I think with some with some um, guys getting healthy and getting back from international duty, things will get a little bit better. And Sporting have played so many games already that their schedule is actually a little bit kinder to them later in the year. Yeah, Unless they make cup. a deep open cup run, which which is a different problem. But I'll take that. San Jose is still in the running, and I just want to point out that that was my preseason pick for Wooden Spoon. So I've still got it rolling here. They they are a poorly organized team. Like when when you look at like if you if we talk about how bad sport like how how much we don't understand why certain personnel changes or, or personnel decisions were made at Sporting, San Jose is an epic head scratcher when you look at how they're put together. So anyway, um, let's get to the U.S. Men's National Team, which unfortunately, Cody, you did not get to see because you had DVR issues, as I hear. Yeah, I had to work, and then I uh, I didn't have DVR issues. I just didn't DVR it, and I, I thought that I had it. Um, all all the USMNT games set to record, but I did not, sadly. 
Well, unfortunately, well, I what I found with mine is I actually looked at it before the game because I wasn't sure I was going to be able to sit down and watch it right away, uh, right when it started. And um, I have YouTube TV, and thankfully I was able to look on my phone. And sure enough, something about how the game was labeled didn't cause it to get recorded. So I was mm-hmm. able to jump in there and add it to my list real quickly. But um, it was a fairly um, comprehensive performance from the U.S. Men's National Team. Now, granted, I... I know all of the jokes about us usa and the friendlies um Jurgen klinsman was fantastic in friendlies when he got to use subs four five and six like that was his forte so i understand you know all the jokes that come with that but um i want to try to talk you through a few things that i saw that i thought were really really interesting i know joe lowry has an article out about it and if you listen to this total soccer show he and taylor get into this a lot and I love Joe Lowry. He's a really smart analyst of soccer and really understands the game well. So if you guys want to really nerd out on how the U.S. was being used in this game, it's a great listen. And and obviously, he's got a website now, backheel.com, and they've got some great content on there that I would suggest that you read, um, both on MLS and the U.S. Men's National Team, NWSL, all that stuff. But um, And this is not like a paid advertisement anyway. I just I really enjoy the stuff that he does, and it's all out there on that website. Um. The thing that I found really interesting about what the U.S. Men's National Team did against Morocco was um, some stuff we talked about at the beginning of this season, right? So when we talked about um, in back in January when we were sort of previewing the season and talking about sporting and how they would do things, we were very familiar with sporting building out of a 2-3-5, right? They had the two center backs, the, the three central midfielders, the fullbacks were pushed high and wide, and then you had the wingers tucked in in the center forward. And that was sort of like their regular setup and how they would build in possession. And um, we talked about at the beginning of the season, the difference between that and like say how a Chelsea do it, or, you know, we were talking about Liverpool, Manchester city and doing it. And that different ways they use the two, three, five versus how sporting used it as well as like a Chelsea, how they use a three, two, five and build up. Cause they're a three bat three man back line. They're double pivot. And then their wing backs are really high with the tucked in forwards and the, dual tens as the Tuba likes to call them with their center forward. Um, the U S men's national team came out in a four, three, three and played in a three, two, five in possession. And the reason I found it extremely interesting was because they were, um, when you look at the lineup, it looked like a four, three, three with some questionable lineup decisions, right? You had Reggie cannon at right back over Yedlin. And I don't know. I don't know if cannon or Yedlin's a better right back in a four, three, three. I, Take it or leave it. Yedlin's a lot more active, probably more used to playing in a back four. Yeah, it depends on what you're looking for, you know. If you yeah, you know, what, what you need, what you need from it. But knowing the U.S. as a high pressing team, I thought Yedlin would be a better fullback than Cannon would be in that circumstance. And then you see Brendan Aronson playing as the right sided eight, and I had some concerns about that, right? Because Aronson has played in midfield for the U.S. and has struggled. Um, mainly because Aronson is not what we would call a high usage player. He's not a guy who gets on the ball and moves the ball. He's more of an active player. He's, he's, he's pulling people out with his movement. He's pressing a lot. He's counter pressing a lot. He does a lot of the Red Bull sort of soccer things, but he's more about finding a space, pulling a person out of space and going into space behind them. That's kind of, it's, it's a, he's a movement player. He's not a usage player that's on the ball a lot. And, Typically, the eights in the U.S. national team system are on the ball a lot. 
They're using yeah. the, they're driving the ball forward. So it was surprising to me to see Aronson in that position. And then I see them get in possession and they move to this two, three, five or three, two, five, where Reggie Cannon stays back. And which makes a ton of sense because Cannon's been playing right center back for Boa Vista most of the year. So Cannon moves as sort of a right center back and they kind of rotate into this three, two, five where, where, Anthony Robinson actually becomes the highest, widest player on the left. Tim Weah is the highest, widest player on the right. You've got um, Adams and Musa in a double pivot in front of the back three. And then you've got Aronson sliding into that half space on the right with Pulisic on the, in the half space on the left. And, um, you know, you hear center forward, which was Ferreira at that point. Um, I just thought it was a really interesting wrinkle to how this team could set up and it put players in positions to succeed. And the reason that I want to highlight that, and I don't want to get back into the sporting Kansas city stuff too much, but this is the kind of stuff I've been asking for Vermees to be doing for the better part of a year, which is put guys in spots where their positive traits are best used and you're not as impacted by their negative traits. Um, there was some stuff that Aronson missed as a right-sided eight in that system, especially in de- defensive transition. Part of it was his fault. Part of it was not his fault. Um, you would see situations where Morocco would play up a sideline. They would play up the right side, and the press wouldn't collapse quickly enough to hold them against the sideline, and they would hit the long switch to the right. But part of that, part of the reason that space was there is Aronson was drawing narrow, but and and not having eyesight to that. So there would be this wide open space on the right side that they could switch into where Aronson and Cannon, it's sort of like a who's doing what over in that place. Um, so there was some of that that happened, but Aronson's such a good presser and a counter presser that he sort of would, he could get back into it and get into a duel and win the ball after that. It really didn't hurt them that much. And from a positive perspective, now you've got, um, Anthony Robinson, who is great wide in delivering a ball. We know this. Like, this is his kind of Jedi Robinson, as he likes to be called. You've got um, Pulisic, Ferreira, Wea, and Aronson all in the attack at the same time. Which is a which is an interesting sort of thing for even a back five to deal with, right? As Morocco had. Um, and I just, I honestly seeing how the team played out of this position. And there were a couple of sequences where they played in the second half out of possession. Like they calmed the game down and played, played out of a press and actually drew Morocco's press up to them and then passed out of it and created chances from it. It was like Manchester city shit. Like it was like really like keep moving the ball around, being calm about it, draw the press up, pass it back to the goalkeeper. You've got your, you've got your center backs on either side and you're kind of rotating it around and just pulling them up, pulling them up, pulling them up. And they're just sending your guys. It was really, really fun soccer to watch tactically. And I haven't seen the U S play this way. Probably ever. Honestly. And it just, um, I mean, I know I'm the one that watched it and you didn't, but I just, I feel like it was just, it was a, it was a refreshing thing to see. First of all, a different way for the team to play. And secondly, 
a tactical setup that made a ton of sense against the opponent they were playing. And that's the part that I felt that had been missing a little bit up until now is that the U S had become a little bit boring. Yeah. They predictable. were just kind of they, yeah. predictable. Exactly. They were a, they were a one, they were a one trick pony and that one trick got them to the world cup, which is great. But if you're looking for success against England or against Iran or against whoever wins out of uh, Ukraine and uh, Wales on Sunday, you've got to have more, you got to have more shots in your bag than that. I think it's interesting that, uh, that they were able to make these, these changes and also have so much success playing out of the back, uh, with Matt Turner and goal. I think that that's a, uh, a really positive development. Um, like, I mean, frankly, I'm not a huge Zach Steffen fan. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm very happy when, when Matt Turner does well. Um, I'm not a huge Matt Turner fan either. I'm not like, you know, one of those, you know, goals against XG guys or whatever. Um, I, I just think that, you know, Stefan is good for one or two boneheaded uh, plays every single time he's on the field. And um, I just prefer my goalkeeper to not be like that. So um, it, I'm glad that I'm glad that Turner um, I'm, I was able to, you know, sort of play more of a possession game and, uh, and make a good impact like that. Absolutely. He wasn't perfect. There were some anxious moments. You could tell yeah. it's just not something he's totally comfortable with. But it, he was, especially in the second half, when they really tried to calm down possession, and there were a couple sequences when he was really, really solid, really calm, really understood where to be. I'll give Aaron Long a lot of credit for being in the right place on some of those plays, too. I don't think they could have done this with Miles Robinson. I don't mm -hmm. think it would have been effective. They needed another veteran center back that understands how to play with the ball at his feet. Um, I wouldn't call Long a line-breaking passer like a John Brooks is, but he's a very calm possession center back, mm -hmm. which I think of him more as like an EC, like an EC Montmarine, where he's he's just – he understands where his spot's supposed to be. He's not overdoing it. And like I said, there were a couple anxious moments with, with Turner where he had to kind of make a quick move and didn't seem totally at his uh, – have his wits around him. But for the most part, he was pretty solid. And um, it's interesting that you brought up the stuff about his possession because he actually mentioned it. There's an article in The Athletic about it where they did an interview with him and he talked about why he was excited for the move to Arsenal. And, you know, as much as I don't want to say nice things about Arsenal, um, they do play a possession-based game out of the back. Mm -hmm. They like their goalkeepers to play with their feet. Arteta is a Pep Guardiola disciple. He's very much of that style. And... Um, Turner said is like one of the problems that I had was that we would train so heavily um, in national team camp for me to work with my feet and I would gain all of this stuff and I would really start to build on these skills and, and I'm paraphrasing all this, but he would, and then I'd go to new England where that's not what Bruce does. <laughs> that is not a Bruce arena way. And he'd go back to new England and he's like, we're not training that at all. And I'd lose those skills. And he's like, I'm he's, he said that he was very much looking forward to going to arsenal and training that regularly because he thought that that would help position his game better for playing with this team at the world cup. And I, I wholeheartedly agree because there's no doubting the fact that Turner is the best shot stopper in the pool. Like mm -hmm. he, he is an, he is an elite shot stopper. So if you can, and he made two fantastic saves in this game, he's the reason that there's a shutout on the board. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the penalty missed was sort of a ball don't lie moment, but um, the rest of it like, he made two great saves that I'm not sure Stefan makes. 
Yeah. I mean, he makes some saves, but one of them was like a, it was a Matt Turner, like, like postage stamp save. So I like seeing him do some of these things better. And I do think that six months with Arsenal will help him improve and train those kinds of things that he needs to be better at. Mm -hmm. Because if the U S is to get results against different types of teams than, than CONCACAF opponents, they're going to have to have different clubs in their bag to be able to do that. And the thing that I found most positive about this match was that it seemed like there was a different club in the bag. And the key thing, and uh, I think Joe and Taylor talked about this on Total Soccer Show, which is really, really, really um, a poignant thought, in my opinion, is that if... As we've seen, you're going to deal with injuries. You're going to deal with unavailable players, all the kind of things that happen when you get down to a World Cup. These guys are going to be playing matches all the way till November. So mm-hmm. you don't really know what your player pool is going to be. You have an alternate setup that you can use that might more functionally utilize the strengths of the players that you have. Um, yeah, it's good that, to have a plan, a plan B. And yeah. It, you know, that kind of goes to what we were talking about with sporting too. You know, if, if, if the team does not have Tyler Adams, you know, uh, as the single pivot covering all the ground and, you know, making all the plays, um, then, you know, that 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 brings up the possibility of moving, you know, switching formations a little bit, dropping into more of a double pivot, and and letting you know Kellen Acosta, whoever, uh, sort of function better in that role. Um, so I'm I'm, a, I'm a definitely a big fan of having a, a plan B. Uh, and it, you know, I saw the I saw the replays of uh, of Pulisic, and uh, I thought he looked really, you know, I mean. When when your best player is making fantastic plays, I mean that's good, obviously. And I mean the touch he made yeah. on the long ball from Zidane was, was, was literally insane. That was great. I mean, Everything about that play was wonderful. It was world class all yeah. around. And of course, he's being big headed about it afterwards, talking about how great you know. Oh, oh well, this is what you do. When you're, I mean, whatever. I don't care. He, he's he earned. Okay. He he earned the right to be. You know. You know. I mean, he's big he's, shit on campus, like just talking still, about how great he is. You no, know, he still, you know, doesn't have the uh, the ego of Deuce. So he's, you know, he's got he's some. Working he's, he's working, working on, on it. He's working on it. Yeah, he's good. He doesn't there. have the Nagadoja swag. So, you know. Yeah, that's um, true. He's not rapping yet. We've got to yeah. get his rap album out oh, first. Please, no. Before we can please pull no. Pull and, pull you know, I have, I have to say, you know, I, you know, I. I I say I'm wrong all the time on this, and I'll just say it again. Like I totally am wrong, or was wrong about Brendan Aronson because that kid's a baller, man. And and uh, you know I, you know, <laughs> even even just you know a week ago, I was like rolling my eyes at his transfer fee um, to Leeds, um, how much Leeds paid for him, and uh, you know I don't know maybe. Maybe he's just worth that. Uh, maybe he's that good of a player, and I'll um, continue to put my foot in my mouth. He's a good player if put in the right position. And yeah. he was, and I wasn't sure this was the right position for him until I saw the possession shape, and I'm like, okay, this makes sense. Mm-hmm. He does, he does allow stuff behind him, so there's a little bit of a concern there. But at least he's going to play the ten. Yeah. So I think that he's perfect in that role. Yeah, and where he doesn't have as many defensive responsibilities, and Jesse knows how to use a guy like yeah. that. Like I don't have any concerns about that, and he's um, a tireless, tireless player. Yeah. 
that guy well, that, plays that, so that was hard. working against him in my mind because I always thought he was just one of those you know run all the time try hard players and he's, that's why everybody loved him. But he's actually his technical skill in this game. Yep. I, I was really surprised. I, I was the same way. I thought of him as more of a crash bang and run kind of guy, and um, he did, and he pressed and counter pressed exceptionally well, and, and and won duels and got the ball back in great spaces and did all the sort of energy drink soccer that Doyle talks about. He did a lot of those things. But he also had some really nice, like technical sequences and passes and things like that. And he gets the goal off of the Pulisic, you know, insane mm-hmm. touch because he's making the run late yeah, into the box there, like he's yep. like he's supposed to. You can't teach that, man. Right? Like you either understand the game well enough to make those kinds of plays, or you don't. Yep. And that's a that's a high value thing for a player, yep. especially a player like him. That's going to like I said, he's going to play the 10 at Leeds and it's going to be fine because they don't use the 10 as a possession player. They use mm-hmm. it as an attacking position. Right. And he's going to make those runs into the box. And that's why they're paying 30 million pounds to bring him yep. in. Um, he's a perfect fit for them. And I was a little down on whether that would be good for his growth. But I'm kind of going back to the like, maybe just put a guy in a place to succeed. Like, yeah. I don't think Miguel Almarone has been that great of an ad for Newcastle for what they paid for him. But I think it's because he's never been played in a position like he was in Atlanta. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that he was really valuable um, when they were, you know, sort of playing more of that Atlanta style. You know, so the bunker encounter, like, you know, when, when yeah. Rafa was, was coaching them, um, I think that he was he was more effective. So, you know, yeah, you're, you're totally right. It, with any player, you know, who's not Messi and Ronaldo, it's really about, you know, the, the, the fit of the, the system and the style of play. And, um, um, you know, I... Uh, I don't know. Uh, I I'm excited to watch and see. You know, when I when I get the chance to see how Ferrer did, uh, I do think that that uh, that was, way that way of banger was, was great, though. I mean, honestly, uh, it was. I mean, yeah. I mean, it should have been saved. Like that was a pretty poor. Uh, and Buono is like the best. <laughs> Buono is like the best freaking goalkeeper in La Liga. Like yeah. it was kind of funny to watch him just get. I mean, he hit. But you the know, shit you, out of it. you need you need plays like that. Like if you're going yeah. to advance in a World Cup, everything not everything is like high xg passing it uh, into an open net. You sometimes you just need players to step up and make plays, and you need to be a little bit lucky sometimes. And you know, you don't make shots like that well, unless you take lots shots like that. Well, and he stung the hands of Buono earlier. Like yeah. He hit another laser that stung the hands earlier. And then, um, to be fair, Jesus Ferreira should have scored just mm-hmm. prior to that. Um, yeah. And so I'm kind of like, you know, those two sort of wash out for me. Yeah. Ferreira, uh, the one thing I would say that I noticed, because he only played the first half, but um, the one thing that I noticed about him was that he um, his movement pulled center backs he's really good with his movement mm-hmm. he drops back at the right time when his other when his other forwards are making fo- runs into the bot or runs closer to the goal line like he's a really intelligent player about um using himself to either create space or to drop into space and i i think that that is an unrecognized trait and yeah, he didn't score on the goal where he was 1v1, but neither did Haji Wright. Haji Wright got the goal on the penalty because Pulisa gave it to him, but Haji Wright had one 1v1 that he yeah. honestly, Haji Wright should have squared it on that play because Tim Way has got to tap in if he squares it. But still, like that stuff happens. Um, 
I don't. I'm not concerned about Jesus Ferreira's goal scoring capability. Like we we see him yeah, scoring. He's the he's he's the MLS goal leader right now. I don't. I'm not really concerned about that. I think that he is the perfect forward for what Burhalter wants, um, which is an active forward that moves around and creates space for those half space merchants, as they like to say, unscuffed. Yeah, like the 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 wingers that are tucked in, or in this case where Wea was playing wide, and you had Aronson and Pulisic as the half space merchants. So, I think that he's the right type of forward for that that allows that of offense to be successful. That's great. One thing I would say is that I'd like to see Pulisic play more direct he he needs to stop trying to be Lionel Messi he's not yeah that's not what he's good at <laughs> <laughs> and even even when he does that shit and gets fouled 40 yards from the goal it's not gaining the team anything right so like you know he gains the, he gets the penalty which he does a really good job and it's absolutely a penalty but um I'm fine with him drawing contact in the box but don't do it 45 yards away from goal it doesn't help anybody when you do yeah. that he needs to get the ball in the box. That's the most yeah. important thing. Yep, exactly. And he's not going to do it on the dribble against five guys. Right. That's not what – there's one guy in the world that can do that. So, yep. like, calm down and just – I don't know. Even find your teammates. Be able to do that back before, uh, you know. I mean, Messi I've seen dribble through five guys. Maradona could do yeah. it. Like, there, there are some, like, you know, like, godlike soccer talents <laughs> that could do it. But as much as, much as Christian Pulisic is – by far the most talented soccer player the U.S. has ever seen. He's not a dribble five guys guy. That's yeah. not what his forte is. Um, use your speed and your ability to see the game and read the game and make runs against opponents. He's extremely successful when he does that. Um, so so another, where, are you, where are you sitting on uh, on Sunday? Um, we have fancy seats. Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah. yeah, very fancy seats. I don't like talking about it because I, I don't know. I okay. feel weird well, I'm sorry it. I brought it up, but uh, I'm just I've got I've got the FOMO going, so because I'm not going, so I'll just oh, watch it well, on television. All right. Well, um, we have fancy seats, but yeah. Anyway, I'm looking forward to it. Anna's really looking yeah. forward to it. So it'll it's, be great. It's gonna be fun. The one thing I also got to see at the end of this U.S. Best National Team game is Weston McKinney. Yeah, my, that's really my, good news. Oh my god, I love watching him play so much. He's by far my favorite U.S. Women's National Team player. He was doing all of the Weston McKinney things: the the um, the the receive and turn, the spinning guys out, you know, all the kind of stuff that he does, mm -hmm. dribbling by. I just he might be the sauciest player that oh, yeah. the U.S. has now. A hundred percent. Like he's got he's he's swaggy in that. Uh, that makes a big difference. It's not just, it's not just, you know, it's not just flash. It, uh, it's a swagger that the team needs, you know, the team needs that attitude. And he can pull it off. It's not just for show. Like, no, yeah, he's really, absolutely. He, he, he does that and makes guys look stupid when he's doing it. Like he's, I just love watching him. And the rumors keep, keep coming that Antonio Conte really wants him at Tottenham. Tottenham got all that money that they got from, you know, giving more shares to Daniel Levy's company. Um, <laughs> I am very excited. Um, Ivan Perisic is a good. Ivan Perisic was a good signing, and he's a good like add to the team. But man, if yeah, they could that get would be, that would be great. That would be oof. I mean, I'm buying the jersey immediately. You know, I am. Yeah, hundred percent, absolutely. I like that guy too much. Um, yeah. So a couple other things I just want to cover on the game. There were some other subs that I thought were interesting that came in. 
Cameron Carter Vickers, also a guy that Drew likes quite a bit. Um, he, you know, came up through Tottenham, so I know a little bit about CCV. Um, he's played very well at Celtic on loan this year. You know, they won the Scottish Premiership. He really grew into the role. They play with possession a lot, and that was not necessarily uh, Cameron's, you know, strong suit, but he learned and got very good. And there were a lot of shouts as to whether he should be the defender of the year in the premiership this year. So like he, the Scottish premiership this year. So he was, he was very, very good. He got into the game. He was fine. Um, uh, some aerial, he, he read the game. Well, he got, he got a couple aerial clearances. Um, he did let someone behind um, in the second half that allowed a goal shout, but I don't think he played him out of position himself out of a position and he's a very solid defender. Um, the, the man, you can't get him off a ball. Like just period. The dude's a bowling ball. Like he's impossible to get off a ball. So there is some value to that. I think when you put him next to Walker Zimmerman, they have very similar traits. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that that part of it was, I don't think they were the best pairing. I would put him next to someone who's more of a passing, uh, you know, dynamic center back than, um, put him next to Walker Zimmerman where they play a very similar game. Yeah. Um, Joe Scally was Joe Scally. If you guys have been watching McGlabach at all, this is the player he's been the whole time. He can get beat behind because he's not much of an athlete. And um, he did get beat behind a couple times. Um, both times he, I will say that I appreciate his effort to come back on one of them. Hakeem Ashraf Hakimi, who is, you know, he plays freaking fullback for PSG. Like this guy's a fantastic okay. player. Yeah, he's okay. He got <laughs> burned. He got burned by Hakimi once, but he he kept running with him. And as soon as Hakimi cut inside, he was able to use that and pull the ball off him. Like yeah. as soon as as soon as he slowed down to cut inside, he was right there and used it to pull the ball off him. So it was actually fairly good defending. But there's a portion of us men's national team Twitter that is just clamoring for this dude to play regularly. And I gotta be honest. I don't see it both when he plays for Mochen Gladbach and both when he, and when he plays here in the, for us men's national team, he's an exceptionally raw defender. Um, he's not that great one V one. He's, um, you know, athletically he can be, he can get beat for speed and he doesn't stay home very well. And I mean, there are things that he does well, but it's just like, he's a, he's an 18 year old kid who I'm glad is getting a lot of opportunities at Gladbach to improve his game, but he's got a ways to go. Like it, it was a significant difference in functional capability for the men's national team. When Jedi Robinson came off and Joe Scali came up. You know, I, I I do think that um, you know the the uh, the adage that the backup quarterback is the most popular uh, uh, player with fans on the team uh, that that applies big time to uh, the U.S. men's team, especially Twitter. And so it's always the players that uh, it's always the players that are getting left out that are uh, the big topic of discussion, and um, it's just a fascinating thing about. Uh, about the world we live in. Yeah, I, I just don't get I mean, look, there needs to be a backup plan for Jedi Robinson. He can't play 90 in every game in the World Cup. Yeah. No, although, the backup plan although, was uh Dest. Well, but Dest is I mean, but ideally you have <laughs> Dest at right back. And yeah, Jedi no, Robinson, I agree. Right? Um 
but but that's my point. If your backup plan is the guy who plays right back, that's not the greatest. That's not the greatest backup plan. So I understand having someone that can play behind him, because now granted, Jedi played every flipping game for Fulham, and that's what a forty-eight game season or whatever it is. Like, so he's used to playing regularly, but you have to have some other options. Yeah. And so I understand why you put Scally out there in this game. It's a friendly, it's low leverage, you're already up three, nothing like send him out there. Let's see how he does. And, you know, maybe, I mean, listen, he was by far no worse than George Bellow or Sam Vines would have been in that circumstance. So right. um, as an 18 year old for him to, you know, he wasn't bad. He was fine. I don't think, I don't think he improved himself. I don't think he, made himself any worse he was just the same player that i've seen regularly um haji wright was um a little bit more direct than ferrera did drop back as a release valve when the press got high as he should but was not as much dropping back in possession that, that as ferrera would um but was a much more direct player i thought um and vertical um if we talk about the quote-unquote verticality um had a very clear had a very clear shot you know one v one on goal and honestly could have squared it for goal number four um or maybe it was goal number three he scored the penalty after that but um there was another time when he got deep and just his touch pulled him a little bit further to the end line than he wanted but i thought he played pretty well um well enough that i don't think that um i would have no problem with him playing more just to see what he's about um, he's a big dude. Now, granted, part of it is that the U.S. Men's National Team is small. Yeah, they're they're small dudes. He's. I, I remember I, I tweeted. I was like looking him up on Wikipedia. He's six foot three, which is a giant compared to a Christian Pulisic. Um, but he's uh, he, and and Jesus Ferreira is not that big of a guy. So he looked like an absolute you know beast running down the field, and so you notice his runs a lot more because of that. But um. I, I liked the way he played for sure. Malik Tillman, I don't really have much to say about him. He, I'm glad that you know he's moved to the U.S. Men's National Team. He got a cap. He's getting to do all those things. He looked like a guy that was a little bit of a fish out of water. I don't see yeah. him. I don't see him figuring into the U. into the World Cup roster. But I think long term, he could be a really good player. The Luca Della Torre came in um, and he was playing alongside Musa in that kind of double pivot for a while so he came in for tyler adams and was playing in that um sort of double pivot in the three two five i thought the main reason i bring this up is because i thought it was really interesting that um you had two really ball secure guys Mm -hmm. um playing in a double pivot when you're trying to close out a game that was the part of it that i found it found really kind of intriguing and interesting you have two guys that are very good on the dribble very ball secure can progress the ball with their feet next to each other in front of a back three that provides you that extra level of mid midfield control that you want when you're up three, nothing and you're trying to kill off a game, or if you're up one, nothing and you're trying to kill off a game. Right. Um, so that was another wrinkle that I thought was really interesting and something I'd like to see more of, because I think that that, that could be a benefit to this team. Um, if they're trying to, you know, fi- uh, you know, clear a game out at the end. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm, He's an interesting player to me, and I, I think that, uh, you know, I've kind of rolled my eyes at him in the past because he was, you know, I always felt like he was replacing uh, Busio, but, um, I mean, 
you can't have too many options. And I think that that's, you know, that's something that, you know, we've seen with this team in the past six months, because there's been a lot of injuries and um, there will be a lot of injuries moving forward too. And, um, and then when you couple that with the, the short West rest in the world cup, I mean, you know, we need, we need all of the good players we can get. So um, I'm casting aside my, uh, my bias against uh, De La Torre. I was a little bit the same way, if I'm being honest. I was, I felt like, why is everybody all over this guy that's finishing, that's in like the third, the fifteenth best team in in uh, the Netherlands? You're right. And I watched. Then I spent a whole season watching Venezia, and I'm like, okay, well, I guess I can't really <laughs> um, talk about it. But no, seriously, Delatore, when he plays with the men's national team, um, he has skills that I like, um, and, and I, I've, I've, I've won him very fairly significantly and there are things that i actually would like busio to work on yeah. taking the ball on the turn and driving it forward mm-hmm. um being aggressive with the dribble those are things mm-hmm. that busio needs to work on and be better at yeah. for sure and these are things that are valuable in both a you know a three four three kind of three four two one mm-hmm. that they were doing in possession and in a four three three either of those as a central midfielder being able to drive with the ball is important yeah. And um, I think that Busio has got some work to do in that regard. That's why he was playing the six for sporting. He was more of a, he was more of a passer and controlling possession from deep. Um, and if he's going to play the more modern sort of setups that you see, um, and he can't play the six at a high level in Syria, right? Like that there's, I think that there's too much of a defensive defensive deficiency there. So um, I, there are things that, Delatore does that um, are useful, and I'd like to see Busio improve on. I think that Delatore plays at a, a at a tempo that better suits um, that is better suited to the national team than uh, than the tempo that Busio plays with. Um, and I'm a huge Busio fan, but I just yeah, you know, there's, there's a quickness and a and a purpose to how he plays, and and you know the. Uh, quick skills with his feet and quick, just moving, moving of his feet. Um, I think that that really suits that the way that, that the U S wants to play. I think that's a perfect way to put it for sure. Is that there's a, I think, I think the reason the Burhalter keeps, keeps calling Busio is because his um, soccer intelligence is so high yeah. that he can do the things that Burhalter asks him to do at, and, and accomplish them. Um, but I do think his skill set is probably not most well used in a high pressing counter pressing team. Right. Um, the tempo is just so high at the way that the U S plays right now that that may not be his best, um, situation to work from anyway. All right. That's almost an hour and a half. That was more than I thought we would go. Um, Sporting doesn't play again for a while, so we may not do one of these next week um, unless Cody really wants to preview a match against New England. Um, mm. We'll see. Mm. I don't know. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't even I didn't like New England when they were playing well, and now uh, now yeah. they put, now they suck. And no. Adam Buxa appears to be gone. So yeah. um, who knows? We're gonna get some Josie Altador. It sounds like. After they after they know. paid like six million dollars <laughs> for him, and he's remember remember when people were like, "Man, Sporting should have signed Altador," mm. and then yeah, and I was one of those people, and apparently tried and then yeah. failed. Yeah, that that appears to be a um, 
a uh, bullet dodged. Let's put yeah. it that way. I mean, you know, I, I think that at that point, and uh, even now, I was like anything, you know, like I would have been happy if they would have, you know, went after Shin Yashiki too, you know, just something. But Shin Yashiki um, makes more sense than Altador. Oh, I don't think you want to pay Altador $1.7 million a year 100%. for the next three years. Um, I, I don't know about that. <laughs> But yeah, I, mean, I, hard, I I don't think that the the the, the team would have done that. And to uh, to their credit, I think that that that's uh, a line would have been drawn. Yeah. Okay. Well. All right. Have fun at the game, man. Yeah. Um. Uh. We will talk soon, and if it's not next week, it's the week after. And, and yeah. until next time, he's Cody. I'm Drew. We'll talk to y'all soon. Bye. Start doing it. Start doing it. Start doing it. Start doing it.